0: This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now, here's the message How's it going? Great is our God, right? And greatly to be praised. Amen. Hey, I'm so excited for all the incoming seventh graders that are in here today. Welcome, welcome. We're excited that you're here. Um, And I am really pumped about what God is doing in this next generation here at New Song Church. Um, If you're a parent in the room, I just want to implore you to get your kids to students on Wednesday nights. Um, I know that sometimes when they're transitioning from kids' church Threshold into students, there's that tendency to like, ah, do we really want to do like the whole Wednesday night thing? It's just another thing to have to do, and or maybe your kids are feeling like a little bit nervous about being with the high schoolers. I implore you, get your kids here. Um, I was just reading an article called "The Kids Are Not All Right," and it was talking about this epidemic of loneliness, anxiety, depression. Um, when they survey the, this generation, Gen Z, they're, they're really having a hard time, a real hard time. And um, there's a community here at New Song Students and an amazing pastor and Pastor Jackson Wilson. And we are discipling and um, helping these kids to be fully fo- formed followers of Jesus Christ. And your kids need community that is the same age as them that are chasing after Jesus like they are chasing after Jesus, so get them here. Wednesdays, Um, if your kids are moving up, then this Wednesday is the first official Wednesday that they can start students, and they will not want to miss it, so be here for that. And then also, I wanted to let you know something really cool. Um, This week, we had 20-something Gen Zers here for the very first ever New Song Students Apprenticeship. Yeah. And so uh, you'll see some of the kids that are in the apprenticeship or students, they have these tags that say apprenticeship on them. And we're so excited because they're here devoting hours of their summer, not just to learn how to be in ministry, but to first learn how to be followers of Jesus, how to apprentice under Jesus, and so we're so pumped, so proud, um, and really excited about what God is doing in this generation. They say the kids are not all right, but there are a, a group of Gen Zers that are so hungry for a move of God and an outpouring of the Spirit and revival in their generation, and I believe that our students are on the forefront of that here in Edmond, Oklahoma, so get them here. And also, we're in Overflow. Thank you, Overflow, for being out there. We love you. Yeah, give them a hand and just to remind you we have lots of space saturday at 4 p.m we have a service that meets then and then also like truly be praying and interceding and pressing in for what god has for us for another building amen all right well we are in week eight of our series and um i just want to set this up because last service to be honest um, felt like there was a lot of resistance in the room. Like when you're preaching sometimes you can feel it. like, oh, you can feel like some walls are going up and I'm okay with that. I'm good with pushing on you. I'm good with, I'm good with not just giving you messages that make you feel good. But what surprised me about this one is this should be a message that, that gets you really excited. And so I just want to present to you like what the Lord can give you today. And uh, Katie Quinn prayed it out in pre-service prayer. It's a gift of hunger. A gift of hunger for him and abiding in him. So lean in. If you have any, like, start feeling walls go up, just rebuke that in Jesus' name, all right? Open your heart to what the Lord wants to say this morning, all right? Okay, uh, years ago, Josh and I went through a three-day marriage counseling intensive, which is exactly what it sounds like. It was three days of intense marriage counseling. And uh, we were sitting in sessions with uh, counselors and um, exploring some uncharted areas of our hearts, of our soul, of our inner life, um, exposing those things that were hidden beneath the surface of our lives, much like we've been doing in this series. And we're going uh, to classes and we're reading books and we have to answer all these questions and we're having hard conversations. By the end of those three days, I remember feeling like really good about what the Lord had done in our marriage and really good about the work that we had put in, like we are good to go, everything's buttoned up and we're just gonna go forth and have an amazing marriage. But at the very end of the intensive, at the very last session, in the very final minute, the man leading the intensive said, careful, lest ye drift, careful, lest ye drift. And as soon as he said it, first I thought, how baller to just talk like in new King James like that, or or King James like that. Careful, lest ye drift. Um, But then the second thought after I had that was this holy fear hit me. I knew in my heart that he was right, that if we were not careful, that we would get back home and get back to the routine of life and slowly but surely drift away from all that God had done in our hearts, in our lives, in our marriage. The truth and the freedom that we found that we would slowly drift away from it and end up right back where we had started. Hebrews 2.1 is what he was quoting from. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's great all on its own, but it's even more impactful when you understand what they had just heard, that they are now being being instructed to not drift away from. So what had they just heard? Well, if you look at Hebrews 1, you'll see that they just heard about the supremacy of Jesus, that he is higher the angels, that he is heir, he is creator, he is the redeemer, he is the ruler, he is supreme. So they hear this about Jesus, and then he says, okay, you guys better pay attention to what you've just heard about the supremacy of Jesus, lest ye drift away from it. David Guzik, in his Bible commentary, he says, the writer of Hebrews, he had the drifting of a boat in mind, and such drifting happens naturally without an anchor to something solid. If we are not securely set in the truth of the supremacy of Jesus, we will drift into danger with the currents of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Here we are at the end of the series, and it has been an awesome series, but hear me, no matter how much progress that you may think that you have made in the area of your emotional health, everyone has has come up to us in the lobby and said, this series has been so good, so hard, but so good. I know that you have grown over the last eight weeks and that's great, but if you are not securely set in the truth and supremacy of Jesus, you will drift back to the same cycles, to the same sin patterns, to the same relationship issues, to the same false self stuff, to the same stuff, different days. Being drifted or drifting on those currents of culture drifting on the winds of whatever, wherever the current of culture takes me, wherever the winds of whatever take me. I've witnessed this time and time again, and I've experienced it myself, where you have these breakthrough moments, and God does something in your life, and then you just kind of settle. And you're pressing in, you're pressing in, pressing in, and then you get settled. And you believe that you've had this big breakthrough, and so now you can just kind of relax, and you can kind of just drift through life, Without a sail or without a rudder, without an anchor, without a rule of life. And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about today, a rule of life. Somebody say, rule of life. life. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would meet us here. Holy Spirit, come and breathe on this word. Breathe life. Let this word be life giving, God. Come and tear down the walls that people have built up. Our hearts are open, God. What do you want to do and what do you want to say? I pray that every person in this room, under the sound of my voice, that they would leave with a hunger for you, that they would be burning with this desire to pursue you, that the pursuit of abiding in Jesus would be the central pursuit of their lives, that they would leave burning and that they would leave motivated to not just burn, but to put this into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So what is a rule of life? I wanna give you some of my favorite definitions, and I don't want you to try to write these down because they're lengthy, but just listen. like Just lean in, read the words on the screen, follow along in the app, take a screenshot, you can look at it later, okay? A rule of life, Pete Scazzaro said, is an intentional, someone say intentional. Intentional. Conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. It provides guidelines to help us continually remember God as the source of our lives. It includes our unique combination of spiritual practices that provide structure and direction for us to intentionally pay attention and remember God in everything we do. John Mark Comer, who has a podcast called Rule of Life that's pretty good, he says a schedule, a rule of life is a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding as the central pursuit of our life, abiding in Christ as the central pursuit of our lives. It's a way to organize all of your life around the practices and the presence of God. Justin Whitmill Early says, it's a framework that allows life to flourish. And Dallas Willard describes this idea as a curriculum for Christ-likeness. Now, what we're talking about here is a rule of life and how a rule of life keeps us from drifting. A rule of life helps us to anchor our lives in the truth and the supremacy of Jesus. Now, this isn't a new concept. This is actually an ancient concept. And recently, the Holy Spirit has been showing me this like Isaac mandate thing that I have on my life. If you remember a couple of weeks ago in our Being Transformed journal, we read Genesis 26, where uh, Isaac went and reopened these wells that his father Abraham had dug, that the Philistines had stopped up and that they had filled all these wells in so that they were no longer a place of refreshing for God's chosen people. But Isaac, he goes to those wells and he reopens them and he gives them the same name, that his father Abraham gave them. Now I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons that God has called me here in Oklahoma City and to Edmond to reopen wells that have been filled in. Ancient practices and disciplines that were meant to refresh and water and rejuvenate God's chosen people but have been filled in and have been trampled over. These life-giving, refreshing practices that the church has drifted away from because of what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. This is where we think that we have advanced so far in everything, technology and intellect and wisdom. We are way more advanced than those earliest followers of Jesus to go back to those old wells. Let's only dig new wells. We need new programs and new systems and new church growth initiatives. Listen, there's nothing wrong with new wells. Isaac dug those too. Those are great. But we can't just uh, uh, dig new wells and never go back to those ancient places of refreshing. Because when we don't go back to those ancient places of refreshing, we're not going back to the very type of wells that Jesus went back to over and over and over again for refreshing. And I don't think that that's panned out too well for the Western church How we have abandoned old wells of life in favor of convenient, cruise control, not super potent Christianity. So I'm here today to uncover this old well that is the rule of life. You with me? All right. Okay, so we see that this is so ancient, it goes all the way back to Genesis, the creation. We see that rhythm is at the very heart of our faith. Think about the seven-day work week that the entire world lives by. There is nothing in nature to dictate a seven-day week. It only exists because our Creator uh, created it, and he set up that rhythm. So we see rhythm and routine going all the way back to Genesis. And then we see that the Hebrew uh, people, they followed a yearly rhythm. All of the different feasts, which are fascinating to study, that was part of their rule of life. These feasts that were set up to help remind them of who God is and what he had done and keep that at the center of who they were as his people. Uh, The early church followed a, a yearly rule of life. They followed the Jewish rhythm. They uh, practiced the Sabbath day. They begin to worship God every Sunday. And then eventually they added in days like Easter and Pentecost and Holy Week into the Christian calendar. Gerald Sitzer says, the early Christian calendar enabled the church to see time as a medium that belongs to God and unfolds according to his purposes. Do you see time that way? As a medium that belongs to God and unfolds according to his purposes. The early church followed a daily rhythm too. It wasn't just a yearly rhythm. They gathered daily for prayer, for fellowship, for sharing all they had, for attending the temple, and gathering in homes in the evenings and sharing meals. Here's the bottom line, okay? The entire life of the early church community was oriented and organized around Jesus. It's beautiful, right? But by 360 AD, under the rule of Constantine, Christianity went from being a persecuted faith, where people were being martyred for their faith. It went from being that to a privileged and a fashionable faith. It became culturally acceptable to be a Christian and church attendance began to grow, which is awesome. But sadly, there was a huge steady decline in discipleship as the church Grow, grew, discipleship began to decline. The more powerful and successful the church grew to be, the less Christian lives seemed to be oriented around Jesus. Does that sound familiar? There was a group of Christian monks that were grieved over the cultural Christianity that was taking over because they believed what I believe, what scripture says, that in view of God's mercy, in view of the cross, that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that our worlds would be oriented around the supreme savior, Jesus Christ. They were heartbroken. They were heartbroken, grieved over the amount of people becoming Christians just because it was popular and because it gave them some type of material advantage under Constantine. So this group of monks, they decided to establish communities of faith in the desert to witness against and to create an alternative to the churches in the city that were being overrun by those Christians who were only interested in following Jesus because it was fashionable and favorable, not because they had any interest whatsoever in their lives being poured out as a liquid offering unto the Lord. So the monks launched this counter movement, and that's how monasteries were born. Now, over the next several centuries, there would be hundreds of these monasteries that were founded. Uh, The most influential monastic leader in the Western church was a guy named Saint Benedict. And he began to see the need for a set of guidelines for these monasteries so that he could keep the monks that were living in them, he could keep their lives oriented and organized around Jesus. Their everyday organized around Jesus like he had seen modeled in the early church. Now, he developed this thing, he called it the rule of Saint Benedict, but it wasn't just one rule, it's like a set of guidelines. Now, the rule helped the community of believers keep their days ordered and full, but never frantic and never hurried. The rule involved them praying for their work and working out their prayers. It involved worshiping God and serving their community in a very intentional and routine way. Now, I'm not saying that we need to become monks, right? The monks did not have it all right, but they did understand the importance of the believer's life being oriented and organized around our supreme Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, then you're probably getting like super excited about this message because you like words like rule and organized and structure. Who who are those people in the room? Let me see you. If you like structure, organization, framework, routine, curriculum, like all, all good words. Or maybe you're like Pastor Josh. (laughs) And you're a little bit more flowy and creative and fly by the seat of your pantsy. Um, And if that's you, you might be thinking like, this sounds legalistic and perhaps even boring. Um, But I assure you, like hear my heart, that not having a rule of life is actually what is heavy. It's actually what's burdensome. Like defaulting to the currents of culture and defaulting to the winds of whatever is way more burdensome than having a rule of life. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light rethinking your habits, rethinking some of your practices and disciplines and your routines, that's not what's heavy. What's heavy is continuing to drift. We need a rule of life. Now, maybe you came from a super legalistic background and that rule or that word rule, it kind of rubs you the wrong way. I totally understand that. I do. But but let me just explain the heart behind this word rule in a way that I hope Redeems it for you, and you see how beautiful this word rule really is. It comes from the Latin word regula, which means a straight piece of wood like a ruler. It's beautiful, right? No, that's not the beautiful part. Okay. It also uh, is the word that was used for a trellis. This is the good part a trellis. Rule equals trellis. I want you to write that in your notes. You know what a trellis is? It is a tool that enables a grapevine to get off the ground and grow upward, becoming more fruitful and productive. Here's a picture of a trellis. See it? See the little guidelines and the structure? It helps the vine grow upward and bear Fruit. Now, with that picture of a trellis in mind, I want you to listen to Jesus's words in John fifteen five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. Okay, underneath every thriving vine is a trellis, a structure to hold up that vine so that it can grow upward and bear fruit. Now, a vine that does not have a trellis, it will die. And if our life in Christ does not have some type of trellis, a rule of life, a schedule, a set of practices, some routine and some rhythm, it will wither and it will be fruitless. Now, notice the point of a trellis isn't like neat, orderly rows. That's not what we're talking about. The point of a trellis is to give room for good things to run wild. GK Chesterton, Chesterton, so good. Okay, maybe you find yourself bristling up at this idea, not because you come from a legalistic background, but because you're thinking, I'm so busy. Like, ah, my schedule is really, really crammed. I don't really have time for a rule of life. Like, I got a super demanding job and I've got little kids at home or I'm going through med school or I'm training for a CrossFit competition listen, I get it. I have a demanding job and I have three kids at home and I'm not training for a CrossFit competition, but I do have a house to keep clean. And that feels like sometimes, especially when I have to vacuum the carpet upstairs, it feels like I'm training for a CrossFit competition. Um, we all live in the same demanding world. We all do but if you think that you're too busy to even consider thinking about what life abiding in Jesus looks like for you, then don't you think it might be time to change some things? C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis said it, not me, but I agree wholeheartedly. He says, busy people are lazy people. I like this paradigm shift because we usually associate busy people with hard working people. But he says, if you're busy all the time, it's because you're lazy, what does he mean? Essentially, he's saying, if you're too busy, it's because you've been lazy about managing your time. He's talking about how we abdicate. We abdicate the crucial, critical work of deciding and directing our lives. We abdicate the crucial and the critical work of establishing values and what's important to us and what we're going to seek first. We abdicate that. Like, I don't feel like being the king of my calendar or the manager of my time and my values. So whoever wants to take over, have a go. I abdicate that to you. And what's frightening about that church is that there are people who do not care about your soul at all, who will gladly take over. People like Mark Zuckerberg and people like your kid's volleyball competitive coach who do not care about your soul, but they will profit off of you and your unwillingness to make time a medium for God and his purposes. John Mark Comer writes, most of us have more than enough time to work with, Even in busy seasons of life, we just have to reallocate our time to seek first the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of entertainment. All relationships take time. We get out of them what we put into them, right? In our relationship with the vine, with Jesus, hear me, this is the most important relationship of your life. And creating a rule of life out of this place of wanting to abide in Jesus and to love him with your whole heart and to be loved by him, creating a rule of life will help us redeem our time wisely and it will help us to grow up in him and to bear much fruit. It's not legalism. It's love. It's love. I do this because I love him. Not because I have to, but because I want to. It's not legalism, it's love. And you're not too busy. You just need to reallocate your time. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we construct a a trellis for our vine? How do we come up with a curriculum for Christ-likeness How do we order our days to make more room for Jesus, for that Zoe life, for that God quality of life that he came so that we could have and have more abundantly? How do we make more room for this? How do we develop a weekly and a monthly and a yearly rule of life? Now, I wanna get super duper practical with you, but before we do that, Before we get into the hows, how to construct a rule of life, first, we need to understand a couple of things, okay? Uh, We need to understand that God made each of us unique and different. We all have the same destiny, to abide in Christ and to be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next, to grow up in Christ. This is our destiny but how we get there is going to vary from person to person due to factors like our personality, our gifting, our temperament, the city that we live in, the season of life that we find ourselves in. My rule of life looks totally different than Josh's rule of life. My trellis looks different than my friend Kristen's trellis or from Tammy's trellis. It's going to look different. Pete Scazzaro, remember his definition. He writes, a rule of life includes our unique, someone say unique, our unique combination of spiritual practices that provide structure and direction for us to intentionally pay attention to God. So it's not about looking like the person's next to you. It's not about looking like my rule of life. It's going to be a unique expression of how God created us to enjoy abiding in him. Okay, second thing I want you to understand is what a spiritual discipline or a practice even is. Because the rule of life it's going to be filled with spiritual disciplines or practices. So, what even is a spiritual discipline or practice? If you're taking notes, I do want you to write this one down. I'll say it slow, okay? Spiritual discipline it's activities modeled by Jesus and Scripture, modeled by Jesus and Scripture, that when undertaken, position you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you can do what Jesus would do if he were you. So you can mom like Jesus, dad like Jesus, run a business like Jesus, serve your neighbors like Jesus. This is Christ-likeness that you can't walk in by willpower alone. That's what the spiritual disciplines are for. Now, this concept of discipline isn't a foreign concept to us. It's just something that we don't think about very often. Like, we don't tie it together. Oh, that's a discipline. So, I wanna give you an example from my everyday life. It's not a spiritual discipline, just a regular discipline. Okay, every night I practice the discipline of setting my alarm. I don't trust my phone for some reason where you can like set it and forget it. I have to do it every night. I, I practice the discipline of setting my alarm. And I have to practice it because without this discipline, I will not wake up when I want to wake up. I can will that the night before, like I really will, I'm just wanting so badly, please willpower take over and make me get up at 5.30 a.m. But that is not happening and thus I practice the discipline of setting my alarm. Okay, We engage in disciplines like this every day where we undertake an activity like setting the alarm, or like showing up to the exercise class, or like brushing our teeth, we undertake this activity that results in further abilities that we otherwise would not have. Without the discipline, I don't operate in that ability. The same is true with disciplines for our spiritual life. We undertake an activity that we see Jesus modeling in scripture, like prayer, or silence, or fasting, or study, or solitude, and that activity results in further abilities that we would not otherwise have. In the same way that if I don't set my alarm, I'm not waking up, if I don't practice a discipline, let's say silence, for example, then my willpower is not enough to help me to be slow to speak and quick to listen. I can will it, oh, I really wanna be better at being slow to speak and not just saying my opinion as soon as I think I need to say, I wanna be, be slow to speak, I wanna be quick to listen. But if I do not undertake an activity like practicing silence, where I'm routinely training instead of constantly trying, like I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to be such a good follower of Jesus, I'm trying to be slow to speak, I'm trying, trying, trying. What if we shifted our mindset and we started training, looking at these spiritual disciplines as training, consistent reps of being quiet before the Lord. When I'm doing that, I'm being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what I could not do by willpower alone. I'm positioning myself myself. Um, in a place where I can begin to live out of the new nature that Christ Jesus has given me. The The disciplines position us to receive more and more of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pentecost Sunday, we all sang out passionately, Holy Spirit, all we want is more of you. All we need is more of you. The disciplines, along with prayer, along with asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they help us to receive more and more of the Holy Spirit. So that I can look and talk and act and think more and more like Jesus, something that I can't do by willpower alone, amen? Okay, so let's look at 12 common disciplines, activities modeled by Jesus in scripture, and um, we're going to uh, go through 12 of these, and then we're gonna uh, talk about how do we construct our rule of life and how do we work these disciplines into our regular routines, okay? So the first one is prayer, prayer, discipline number one, This is talking with God and listening to God. A.W. Tozer said, prayer is a continual, humble communion with God, day and night, under all circumstances, the pouring out of my heart to God in continual, unbroken fellowship. Now, this discipline is not about developing a prayer life. Like, hmm, I gotta get me one of those prayer lives. No, (laughs) this is about developing a praying life a praying life, prayer is to be central. It is to be woven into the very fabric of all of our routines. And you'll see as we go through these disciplines that prayer in a way undergirds all of the other disciplines. Like if you can begin to to have this, like I want a praying life, then some of these other disciplines just start flowing. They just start happening. I heard a pastor say, if you can get your congregation to a prayer room once a week, you'll see them begin to, and we've seen it here, begin to grow in some of these other disciplines. Okay, so prayer undergirds all the other disciplines. Second is silence, silence. A moment of intentional time in the quiet, to be alone with God. Last summer, for the first time in my 37 at that time year old life, I began to practice silence. I would read about this discipline and be like, that one's not for me. Um, But I was like, okay, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to do this. So I began to come into God's presence without words, without an agenda, and to just sit quietly before him for five to 10 minutes, letting these preoccupied, kind of fuzzy, kind of cloudy, stirring waters of my life settle so I can see God clearly, so I can see God rightly, so I could hear his voice. And so that my soul can make an appearance before the Lord and connect with my maker and creator in an undistracted, I'm ready to encounter you, Lord. I like what Parker Palmer says about our soul being shy. I found this to be very true. The soul is like a wild animal. Think of like a deer, tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy. It knows how to survive in hard places. That's our soul. Our soul can just keep blowing and going and we are unaware that we are struggling because we've learned to be resilient and tough and savvy. But our soul's also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush. We want to see a wild animal. We know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods yelling for it to come out. If we want our souls to come out of hiding and really connect to God on a soul, spirit, body level, we gotta get quiet. We gotta get quiet. When I started practicing this, I realized, oh, there are some places in my soul that are not well with the Lord. But I've been blowing and going, and constant noise, constant activity, constant motion. And as soon as I begin to settle and practice this discipline, man. When I look back over the last year of my life, and I do kind of like the examine, that Pastor Josh talked about a couple of weeks ago, where you do this at the end of the night, and I'll be honest, this is the hardest discipline for me. I can never make it through the examine. I'm like, okay, God, where were you today? I'm just <laughs> immediately asleep. I never, yeah, and immediately asleep. But this is a good practice, and you should practice it, and I'm working on it. Um, but one, that, one question that you should ask yourself at the end of every day, the month, and the year is where and when did I experience the manifest presence of God and his love and his strength the most? And when I look back over the last year, honestly, it's in those places of being quiet before the Lord, in my secret place, just me and him, or in my car on a quiet car ride where I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to, to, to see his face to be more aware of his presence and whoosh, he comes in and I feel so loved and so seen and so known by my maker. It's on a quiet walk. Silence. Try it. Try it. Number three, solitude. This is choosing to step away from human relationships for a lengthy period of time in isolation to make room for occupation of our lives by God. God, come and occupy my life. We see this in Jacob. We just read about this story in our Being Transformed journal where God comes to wrestle with Jacob and it's when he is in isolation. Now, I've never scheduled time of solitude, but I want to. I've been thinking about that. Like, what would that look like to go away for 24, 48 hours just me in order to like occupy more of my life, Lord? But I have experienced a forced isolation. November of 2020, can you guess why? got covid. And I was also on sabbatical. And so during sabbatical Josh and I are not at the church, we're not at the office, nobody texts us, we're not working, we can't look at our emails, slack, nothing, social media, nothing. We are on sabbatical and usually it's glorious. But we had we had covid. And so we were like isolated from everybody and we can't even like go to a restaurant or something or go see him. We're just like totally in forced isolation. But I'm telling you church that I will always say that November 2020 was a landmark month in my life. In that time of isolation, God came and occupied my life in a way that honestly, in, in, in 37 years of following Jesus, I had no idea that he could occupy my life like he began to do in November of 2020. In that time of isolation, he began to wrestle with me and things that I had like sang about as a teenager. And I was like, man, I love the idea of a friend that's closer than a brother. I love the idea of a friend that's more intimate than a lover. I I thought it was a great idea. I had no idea that it could be a true reality of my life, that intimacy and that friendship with Jesus. It was birthed in isolation. So I believe that this is an important discipline. Number four is scripture. This is continually committing to studying the word of God. Someone say "Continually." continually. Committing. This is one of the most important things that you'll ever decide to do. I've made a vow before the Lord that I will not let a day of my life pass without setting my eyes on his word, without letting the scriptures be in my view. Vacations, sick days, whatever. I wanna spend time in your word, not just quickly glancing at it, but meditating on it, chewing on it, letting it be to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. I'm telling you, if you will just make a commitment that I'm going to start with the Being Transformed journal, get a journal if you don't have one, and just make a commitment. I'm gonna get in the word every day. And at first, it may not be very fun for you. Or you're like, I'm not getting, I'm just keep showing up, just keep showing up. It's the bread of life. It's a lamp to our feet and the light to our path. It is life and healing to all who find it. Let it be to you the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. Number five, fasting. This is a willing abstinence from food for a period of time. I'm not gonna go into this one in detail, but we have um, some great resources on our website. You can look at our podcast, search fasting, New Song Church, OKC. Six is the discipline of simplicity, simplicity. This is structuring your life in such a way that it becomes more freeing. This looks like saying no to a million lesser loves so you can say yes to Jesus. What can you say no to? What's like occupying all of your time, all your mental energy? Where do you need to simplify so that you can say yes to Jesus? Number eight is worship the discipline of worship. This is engaging ourselves with, dwelling upon, and expressing the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God through thought. When's the last time you just let your mind fill up with the majesty and the beauty and the splendor and the strength and the glory of God? Through thought, through worship, or through words, begin to sing him a new song. Josh told me he went for a walk this morning and he was like, I started singing a new song and the whole mile, he's like, I never ran out of things to say because that's how good God is. Sing to him a new song. It's through the words, uh, the use of words or maybe it's a ritual like dancing or painting, really anything unto the Lord. Eric Liddell, the runner from the movie Chariots of Fire, he said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Running was worship for him, not for me. That's the opposite of worship. That is punishment. But for him, it was an act of worship. He could feel God's pleasure. So, what does that look like? Do you have a discipline of worship? And you think, well, shouldn't it be spontaneous? Shouldn't it be? The more that you do this, the more it will be spontaneous. Number nine is celebration the discipline of celebration. We enjoy ourselves, our life, our world in... Oh, did I miss one? Sabbath. Thank you, babe. Did I miss one? Sabbath? Okay. Number seven is Sabbath. I skipped Sabbath. Um, Pastor Josh talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is a 24-hour period, one day a week, that you set aside to resist work and to rest and worship. It's beautiful. He talked about it two weeks ago. Go back and listen to that podcast. Sabbath worship, celebration, the discipline of celebration. We enjoy ourselves, our life, our world in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness in his beauty and in his goodness. Typically, this means that we come together with other people that know God and we eat and drink and we sing and dance and we relate stories of God's goodness in our lives. Are you doing that? Are you celebrating with God's people gathering around the table? Like, look what the Lord has done and laughing till your sides hurt, right? Number 10, fellowship. This is engaging in common activities of worship and study and prayer and celebration and service with other disciples of Jesus. Hey, good news. You're doing this one right now. This is fellowship, coming to church every week. This is fellowship, being with disciples, doing the Jesus stuff with the Jesus people. Number 11 is service, engaging our goods and strength in the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world. Serving like we see Jesus serving in scripture. And number 12 is sacrifice. This is deliberately forsaking the security of satisfying our own needs with our resources our time, our treasure, our money, our talent, deliberately forsaking the security of satisfying our own needs with our resources and the faith and hope that God will sustain us. Okay, so this is an ex- uh, exclusive uh, list of the spiritual disciplines. There's more, but this is a solid 12. Okay, now without a trellis, without a guideline, without a rule of life, I'm telling you that you will rarely, if ever, just drift into practicing these disciplines. You won't find yourself like, oh, look, the currents of culture, they have me right over here, and now I'm all of a sudden just loving, enjoying silence. Like the currents of culture aren't going to drag you there, right? They're not going to make you float there. And the winds of whatever aren't going to have you end up over here like, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm just like loving God's word all of a sudden out of nowhere. That's not how it happens. You will rarely, if ever, stumble into abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit. It's not enough to just know that these disciplines exist and be like, yeah, those are great. And I should practice those. We need a plan we need a plan, we need a trellis, we need intentionality, we need a rule of life. Okay, so I wanna show you this framework that I feel is like super helpful to use. And I wanna give you some examples for my own rule of life. Again, your rule of life doesn't need to look like my rule of life. I'm just trying to like get your wheels turning of like what this might look like in your everyday life. Um, so I'm hoping that this inspires you to put together your own rule of life this week and to make it super easy, we've created a worksheet for you. And by we, I mean, Pastor Josh, I recruited him this week. You didn't know this about him, maybe, but he's an awesome graphic designer, and he made this rule of life, and it just reflects everything about my style. He just, you just nailed it. Thank you, babe. Um, it's at newsongpeople.com/slash-rule-of-life. You can find it on the app. You can find it on the website. It's everywhere this weekend. It won't. It won't be hard to find. But go and find it, and download it, and print it, and fill it. okay you'll see on the worksheet that I've um, separated uh, there's four categories pursuit categories that if we are pursuing these four things it's going to help us with the central pursuit of our life which is abiding in Jesus. And these four pursuits are super easy to remember because they happen to be the same four pursuits of this house, of this church, okay? So you'll see here, slow, uh, uh, throw that up there, rule of life. The first pursuit is the presence of God. The second one is transformational discipleship. Third is kingdom community. And fourth is sacrificial mission. And you see how these kind of like all intersect with that middle Peace, which is abiding in Jesus. Okay, so these are the four pursuits. You're gonna think about these pursuits, what they mean, there's some questions to answer on the worksheet, and then you're gonna go through the 12 disciplines that we just talked about, and you're gonna say, okay, what disciplines, Holy Spirit, do I need to practice to help me pursue the presence of God? What disciplines, Holy Spirit, do I need to practice to help me pursue kingdom community and sacrificial mission? And transformational discipleship, okay? Um, so I'm gonna show you my rule of life for summer 23, some of the pieces from it. Um, how am I pursuing the presence of God? What disciplines fall under that category? Now, when you do yours, you go through the disciplines, you're gonna plug them in in those four pursuit squares, okay? And there's three little bullet points, and here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to just write prayer. Like, I think I'm gonna pray. I think I'm gonna fast on this one, fellowship. Fellowship sounds good for kingdom community. No, what does it look like? Like I want you to think about when you're gonna do it, where you're gonna do it, how you're gonna do it, okay? When, where, how, all right? Or when, how, what? Um, So for me, pursuing the presence of God, the disciplines that help me with this are prayer and silence. What does this look like? When and how and what am I gonna do this summer to do that? It looks like, for me, daily sunrise walks. Every morning, sunrise walk, no headphones, no iPhone, no nothing, no technology, walking at a very intentionally slow pace. So slow that the first couple of times I did it, I was like, I don't know what to do with my arms. Because I never walk this slow. I'm usually like a fast walker. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to walk slow. Like, why are you in a hurry? Just enjoy this time with me. What does it look like? It's me um, just breathing in God. Just breathing in the sweetness of God. As I listen to creation sing of his glory. The birds, the wind rustling through the leaves, the sunrise coming up in the morning. The heavens declare his glory. So I quiet myself for that first half mile. Real quiet, real still, getting those waters to settle so I can see him rightly. And then the second half mile, I begin to breathe out prayers and psalms and petitions and requests to my God. Uh, Another discipline that helps me to pursue the presence of God is prayer and fasting. Again, prayer undergirding so many of the disciplines prayer and fasting. When and how and what does this look like? It's a weekly. Uh, practice for me. Weekly, a lot of our staff does this. A lot of people that come to midweek prayer do this weekly fast from like Tuesday night at six to Wednesday after prayer, where there's no food during that. It's like a 20 hour period, but we're coming fasting and we're coming hungry. And then we gather together for a time of corporate prayer, Wednesdays at noon. So that's part of my rule of life. Another discipline that helps me to pursue the presence of God is worship and prayer. Now, when and how and what does that look like this summer for me? It's routine songs that go with routine activities. Okay, so every day after I get done with my sunrise walk, there are two things that I have to do every morning, part of my everyday routine. I have to do them. I have to unload the dishwasher, and I have to make espresso. I have to do these things. And I have tied like four worship songs, the same worship songs, all summer, or until I get tired and, or like need to rotate another one in, four simple, repetitive worship songs. Like, You Are Not Alone by Young Oceans, or You Are Not Far by Young Oceans, or um, Take a Moment by United Pursuit, where it's like, they become your prayers. I'm singing them quietly as I make my coffee. I'm singing them quietly as I unload the dishwasher, and they're becoming the prayer that's setting the tone for my morning. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, so lifting my load again. So it's routine songs for routine activities. What are you already doing as part of your everyday routine yeah. that you can incorporate practicing the presence of God and putting your life and organizing your life around Him? The third pursuit, or the second pursuit, is transformational discipleship. How am I pursuing discipleship? Uh, the disciplines look like scripture and silence and worship. Okay, how do I practice these disciplines? When and how and what? It's daily, daily. In the secret place. I unload the dishwasher and I take my two shots of espresso and my two tablespoons of cream. I light a three a three-wick candle before I go into the secret place. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I sit down in this big leather chair and it's my thin place. This is the thin place. This is where he meets with me. This is holy ground. This is sacred. I've got my being transformed journal there, my basket with Bibles and pens and commentaries. I read the word, I read it again slowly, I highlight it, underline, I study, I journal, I quiet. I'm quiet, it's unrushed. And then I usually read a chapter of a formation book after that. I light the candle, I sit there for a long time with God in the word, quite a while so that the candle begins to melt and the incense from that candle begins to rise and fill the entire house. So much so that when my kids walk out of their bedroom in the morning, they can smell it and they know that mom has been in the secret place. This is a daily rhythm of my life. The, the third pursuit is prayer, or sorry, the, another discipline under transformational discipleship is prayer and scripture. Prayer and scripture. Uh, when and how and what does this look like? Daily meditating on a psalm. I have one psalm a week that I try to not memorize, but just at least really grasp the theme of the psalm. I write it out on a piece of cursive paper, or write it out on a piece of notebook paper in cursive on Sunday nights, and then I fold it up and I put it in the back of my phone case. And my phone case is clear, so I see it. I don't know about you, but I have this like compulsion to reach for my phone. At any moment where there's stillness, whether it's I'm going to the bathroom, I need my phone. I'm waiting in line at the grocery store, I need my phone. I'm in the car, I need my phone at a stoplight. Just always reaching, even though my phone has nothing on it. Social media apps, I've broken all of those habits, but just the habit of reaching for my phone. And I wanted to redeem that. And so the Lord was like, why don't you use it? Like, How can you incorporate me into that? So now every time I reach for my phone, I open my case, I get out that little piece of notebook paper, and I begin to pray through and meditate on a psalm. It's just part of my, uh, my uh, rule of life. Another way that I practice transformational discipleship is the discipline of more scripture. When and how and what does it look like? It's for me stopping by these four consistent wells weekly. Four wells that God has placed in my life via technology. First stop is New York City, New York second stop is Portland, Oregon. Third stop stop is Guilford, England. And the fourth stop is Kalamazoo, Michigan. All amazing churches that I love dearly that are preaching scripture-based sermons each week. And I make time throughout my week to listen to each of those podcasts every week. So four sermons a week. um, And I do it, I tie it into stuff that I'm already doing in the car, on the way to take the kids to school, or uh, while I'm putting on my makeup, I'm listening, or I'm getting ready for bed. So it's tied into things I'm already doing. The third pursuit is kingdom community. What disciplines do we need to do to participate in community, uh, to pursue kingdom community? The disciplines of celebration and fellowship. Celebration and fellowship. What does this look like? When and how and what? It's bi-weekly coffees for me with a soul friend. Thursday mornings, 7 a.m., mediocre coffee, Amazing time with a soul friend that loves Jesus. What's God doing in your life? We talk about the word, what God's showing us, our families, celebration and fellowship. Another discipline here is fellowship here every week. This is part of my rule of life. My mom instilled this in our family from the time I was tiny. Part of your rule of life is you are at church when the doors are open. Another discipline here for me is prayer and Sabbath and celebration. They kind of all come together in the glorious Sabbath day. The 24 hours of rest, Thursdays from 6 p.m., Fridays to 6 p.m., where we're resisting work, where we're resting, and we're worshiping, and we're having family dinner together. That's our fellowship. That's our celebration, where we laugh. We have family prayer, family communion. All those disciplines are all piled up in the Sabbath day. And then the fourth pursuit is sacrificial mission. What disciplines do I need to engage in to pursue living on sacrificial mission? They're the disciplines of service and sacrifice. What does this look like for me? When and how and what, a lot of different ways, but this summer it looks like um, yearly, that yearly summer new song mission trip that every year I wanna go on a mission trip with new song, once a year at least until God tells me otherwise. Next Sunday, I'm gonna be preaching in Mexico, Puerto Penasco Christian Fellowship. So be praying as we pour into their church, their leaders, and then we go prison ministry and go visit dumps where families are living, ministering Jesus to them, praying that we see Jesus in them and that they see Jesus in us. So it's part of my rule of life, I'm gonna go on mission. I'm gonna give up, sacrifice a week of my life to go and love people like Jesus loved people. Simplicity, the discipline of simplicity, when and how and what, this is weekly, sometimes daily, just saying no to lots of lesser loves, saying no, so that I can make it my ambition, like the church in Thessalonica, Paul said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, not a busy life where you've got a million things going all of the time. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet and simple life. That means say no to some things that a lot of people won't say no to. No to social media a lot of days. No to mindless TV or movies. No to that closet full of clothes that you have to sift through to try to pick out what you're gonna wear every day. No to makeup a lot of days so I can spend more time in the secret place. No to trying to build a platform or to get followers. No to gourmet dinners. No to perfectly landscaped flower beds. Just no to a lot of lesser things so that Jesus can be my one thing. Now for you, you may be like, wait, I love gourmet dinners and I love gardening. Like that's how I Sabbath. That's how I connect with Jesus. That's the beauty of this. Remember, it's you a unique combination of spiritual practices and disciplines. The point is not to structure your day and week like I structure my day and week. You may not be a sunrise person. You may be a sunset walk person. You may not be a walker at all, that's okay. The point is to connect with Jesus in the unique way that he created you to enjoy abiding in him. The point is also not to bite off more than you can chew. Do not go home and say, I'm gonna start getting up at 5.30 and I'm gonna practice every discipline every day. That's not the point, okay? Prayerfully, prayerfully go about this. Maybe it's three disciplines that you focus on this summer. You're being led by the spirit here. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's scripture, maybe it's Sabbath. And you set aside some time this week to map out what it would look like for you to start to incorporate these into your daily routines, things that you're already doing, and maybe make some shifts in your schedule. I'm telling you that just a few intentional adjustments, just a few intentional adjustments. And before you know it, abiding in Christ is the most natural thing that you do. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to write it all out. I didn't, at the beginning of the summer, say, this is how I'm going to practice the presence of God. This is how I'm, this is going to be my rule of life. It just comes from this place of like, this is just what I want to do. And it wasn't always that way. First, it was like, I got to write this down and I got to be super intentional. Now it's like, this is all I want to do. Abiding in Christ can become the most natural thing about you. Or one day, You get in the car and you don't have to think about, uh, should I listen to sports radio or should I sit here in the presence of God? You don't think about it. You don't even reach for your phone. You don't even reach for the radio. You just instinctively, because you've been doing it over and over again, you reach for him. You reach for the one that you want most, his presence. You reach for his heart. You reach for his voice. You reach for your father. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Careful, lest you drift. If you would stand your feet. altar ministry team, go ahead and make your way down here. And as we close, I just want to pray over you. Don't check out quite yet. We're not quite done. The Holy Spirit's not quite done. Just settle your heart before him. Just agree with this prayer. Jesus, we want abiding in you to be the most natural thing about our lives, that you would be our one thing. Holy Spirit, would you show your people, show us how to organize and orient our lives around Jesus. Would you guide us As we sit down this week and think about our rule of life, show us which disciplines you want us to undertake. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We ask you to help us guard our hearts against spiritual pride when we feel like we are mastering our rule of life. For we know that you and you alone light the flame in our hearts that burn for you. We ask you to guard our hearts against guilt and shame when we feel like we fall short of pursuing you. We know that spiritual pride and shame are tools of Satan. Seal in our hearts this truth that your love does not change based on our behavior. If we forget to read our Bible, you don't love us less. And if we remember to read our Bible, you don't love us more. This isn't about earning a thing. Your perfect love for us was demonstrated on the cross. So Holy Spirit, would you empower us to understand how wide and how high and how long and how deep God's love is and let all that we do every discipline that we undertake may it be in response to your great love in jesus name amen if you're here today and you have a prayer need of any kind maybe you're here and you want that gift of hunger i want to hunger for the lord i am tired of like yeah i like the idea of that i want the real thing i want to abide in him if you want that hunger Like we said earlier, there's a gift of hunger that he wants to release today. So don't hurry out of here. Come to the altar, receive prayer. Maybe you wanna come down and just kneel and not come up to an altar minister, but just kneel and consecrate your summer to the Lord. Consecrate your life to the Lord. Maybe you have a need of healing, sickness in your body that you're fighting. Maybe you're needing some direction, some wisdom whatever it is. Maybe you need to confess spiritual pride. Maybe you're feeling condemned right now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is, don't rush past this moment. Come forward for prayer. If you don't have a tongue on your heart, then sing this song. Make this song your prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person in this room to the altar, to step out in obedience and surrender into where you are leading in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for Newsong Church OKC in the App Store.